This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 28, Caitlin Cochran. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim talks with current U.S. National Team softball outfielder Caitlin Cochran. I think it it helped me because I was able to manage my time well, and I understood that when I had a free moment that I would dedicate that to the classroom. I mean, yes, there's, once again, there's a time where you can rest, just watch TV, go out with some friends, you know, all of that. But when I knew I had to get something done in the classroom, I did. And I think that was a result of me playing a sport and me just having that self-discipline that's taught in a sport. Um, I, I think that really helped me for, for the long haul for not just being a student or being an athlete, but just helped me in life. Caitlin shares how the self-discipline she developed through her experiences in softball helped her juggle successfully sports and studies. She talks about how supportive parents, motivational coaches, and her teammates have inspired her to strive for greatness, and how she hopes that softball will soon return to the Olympics. Caitlin, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Caitlin grew up in Yorba Linda, California, where she attended Rosary High School where she was named a softball All-American her senior year. She played her college softball at Arizona State University where she was a four-time first-team All-American. In 2008, despite being intentionally walked 29 times, an NCAA record, Caitlin still hit 439 with 14 home runs and 51 RBIs for a slugging percentage of 838. Amazing. Not surprisingly, ASU won the NCAA championship that year. By the end of her college career, Caitlin had broken nearly every ASU career hitting record. In 2009, Caitlin joined the USA national women's softball team. With the national team, she has won two World Cups and one World Championship. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So was softball always your number one sport growing up? Yes, it, it was. You know, my dad played baseball and I... I kind of grew up loving the sport of baseball, but he kind of just transitioned me into softball, and I, I grew up watching my sister, too, and it was just something that I grew to love. And how did your uh, how did your parents support you to become the player you are today? Um, well, first off, um, my mom, she's the health administrator at UCI Medical Center, and my dad, he was an operations manager, but they always managed to come to every single game of mine and my sister's when she played and they would just be there for every single event in any way they could to support me and just be there either as a a mentor, a guide, or a coach, or just someone to be there to cheer me on. A lot of um, a lot of kids who are playing sports sometimes feel their their parents become kind of overbearing and kind of take over and give them too much directions. It sounds like you didn't get that from your parents. Um, no, I didn't. You know, my parents always said, hey, you know, if you really want to get to the top level of this game, then you're going to have to put out, you know, X amount of effort. 
in X amount of time. And if you don't want to do that, you know, that's totally okay. But if you do want to do that, this is what you have to do. So they always really mapped it out really nicely for me. And I was able to understand that and say, okay, you know, so I'm going to have to make some sacrifices here. But, you know, I I know it's going to be all worth it in the end because this is what I want and this is what I chose to do. And they always gave me that choice. You know, part of the responsible sports program that Positive Coaching Alliance and Liberty Mutual are doing together is really, I would say, to help every kid get the kind of parents you have. That that if uh... definitely, um, I mean, I I certainly had model parents. I would say they just they couldn't support me enough. I, I feel like, and once again, we always had that rapport with one another where we were able to talk things out when you know things might have gotten tough saying, hey, you know, is this what you want to do? Because once again, if this isn't, then don't do it. But if it is, you know, we're going to be with you every step of the way. And no matter what, we're going to love you for better or for worse. So it's just that, you know, unconditional love that parents have for their kids. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. You know, you're now an outfielder on the USA team, um, national team. Were you always an outfielder or was there a time when you made a transition from another position? Um, well, when I was younger, I was a pitcher and first baseman, but I always kind of knew how to play the outfield because I, I just kind of mixed in and out. Um, I, I don't think it was until probably high school where I became like a full-time outfielder on my high school team and my travel ball club team. So, yeah, I mean, I, for the most part, I would say I, I was an outfielder. <laughs> was there a, was there a transition you had to make from, you know, I think a lot of uh, people think, well, the pitcher is really important, first baseman is important. Um, was there a, a transition you had to make to become an outfielder? Um, not, not a whole lot because, like, I, I pretty much played all those three positions throughout my career. It, it just kind of depended on the team that I was on, what they needed. Um, you know, certainly I loved pitching. You know, it was it was something that I enjoyed. I was in every pitch and. Same thing with being in the infield. You know, you feel like you're really in the game. But when I transitioned to the outfield, like, it was it was definitely like a transition, but it wasn't as hard of a transition as if an outfielder um, coming into the infielder. So it was, I mean, it was a different transition, different mindset, different kind of backups and, you know, way of playing the game. But overall, it wasn't as difficult as I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the year before you got to ASU, the team finished eighth in the Pac-10. What was the culture like then, and how did things develop over the next four years when you were there? Oh, gosh. Um, I distinctly remember coming in. We had a new coach that year, Coach Clint Myers, and he walks into us the first day and says, we're going to win a conference championship and a national championship, and we look at him like he has five heads, like he's totally nuts, and we're all looking at ourselves saying, like, did you not see our record last year? We were 4-17, and 17, we finished last, and, you know, we just didn't believe it at first. But when he came in with him and his coaching staff and they set this tradition and they set, you know, these just all of these different ways of trying to communicate to us and give us that confidence that we needed to be able to accomplish the goals that he set forth for us at the beginning, it was a very interesting mindset and just a way that he had of communicating to us and getting us to do the things that 
he was trying to teach us from day one. And we worked so hard in the fall, I remember, and so hard, you know, that month in January, right before we started our season, that, you know, it was just a completely different feeling from what I understand um, the girls had um, before who had played with the different coach. And it was just, it, it was really great to see, you know, someone come in there and just have that belief in us. And, you know, it just, it changed, it changed the program. It changed everything. And, you know, once again, you, you just, you can't be thankful enough to be able to have someone like Coach Myers. And, and I had him, you know, his first year was my first year. So it was just, a, a great transition, I would say. It's so so wonderful when someone like that believes in you. It, it makes it easier for you to believe in yourself. Right, it, exactly. And you know, and he he always had that belief in every single one of his players. And you know, I I know the coach in there before she set her traditions. She was a great coach for ASU, and you know, she did awesome things for the program. And you know, so. I know it's always hard to go from one coach to another, the girls always said, but, you know, it was a smooth transition, I would say. And, you know, it was just a, a different way of thinking, a different way of coaching. And once again, you know, he just had that belief in us and had that trust in us to be able to get the job done at the end of the day that it really empowered us as players, I felt like. You know, um that that was your first year when when Coach Myers came in. Then you became an upperclassman. Were there specific things you did to support the newer players as they came in? Um, absolutely. You know, always being an upperclassman, you're always trying to help those who are who are new to the program, who are younger than you, still trying to figure things out. You know where they fit in on the team. So always trying to be that mentor to them and trying to show them, hey, this is how we do things. You know, and yeah, there are going to be a few bumps in the road, but if you stay the course, you know, things will work out in the end. You just have to trust it. And whether it's academics, whether it's with sports in general, like anything in life, you know, if you can just, you know, work through those little bumps in the road and really just try and get through it as best you can, then, I mean, things will work out. You just have to believe and trust and have that support system around you in order for things to really work out and just believe in the process. You know, you used a phrase, um, how we do things, and, and with Positive Coaching Alliance, we, we talk about culture being the way we do things here. And it just seems like um, when you've got upperclassmen in a school who buy into a culture, a way of doing things, it, then it's a lot easier for the newer players coming in. What do, what do you think team leadership looks like? Ooh, team leadership. Um, okay, so with team leadership, I would say that if I'm if I'm going to lead a team, like if I'm an upperclassman, I'm trying to be a mentor to the team. If I'm trying to lead this team, I'm going to set the example for my teammates. I'm going to do anything and everything that the coach asks me to. I'm going to get some extra work in if I need to. I'm going to take the time to study when I have the time to study. And I'm going to show every, everyone, you know, this is how you get things done. This is how you become successful at what you want to do. This is how we accomplish these goals, whether it's winning a conference championship or a national championship 
whether it's getting an A in the class or, you know, meeting your expectations, you know, in the classroom. This is how you do things. You know, just pretty much being able to manage your time well, set an example, not going out and partying all the time. Though there is a time and a place for that, I know kids want to have fun in college or when they're younger, but just understand that there's a time and a place to do that and there's a responsible way of doing that. So just not do anything that could put you in a position to fail or put you in a position that could, I guess, get you in trouble down the road. <laughs> wow, great answer. Thank you. That's a lot of uh, a lot of wisdom there. When one of your teammates makes an error or strikes out, is there something you do to help pick her back up? Absolutely. I mean, the simplest thing from giving them a high five to just saying, hey, you know, get it next time. Just learn from that at bat and move on. Just being able to dissect your at bats, dissect any play that you make. You know, what did you do in order for that to happen and what can you do to change it for the next time? You know, if with a pitcher you're getting all these pitches in that at bat and that strikeout that you had, then analyze that at bat because most likely you're going to see it the next time. Yeah, great. <clears throat> in in 2008, um, Coach Meyer's prediction happened, and you won the national title. Um, what I found interesting about that is that that season you were walked a, re- a record, intentionally walked a record 29 times. Um, you know, as a hitter, you want to hit the ball. Was that frustrating to be walked so much? Um, I mean, absolutely. Whenever I walk up to the plate, you know, I, I do want to get into the box and make something happen for my team and, you know, hit runners in, do all of that. But, you know, if they're going to put me on base, then that's how I'm going to contribute to the team. I'm going to score runs. And that's exactly what I did that year. My my teammates, you know, I got walked. They drove me in. And that's what I love about this sport, that it's a team sport and, you know, everyone contributes some way at one point or another. And there's always a new hero every day. So, yes, I, I may have been walked, but look at what everyone else did. Look at what that team did that year. Everyone came together as a team, and everyone understood what their role was on the team. And that's why we won the national championship, because we were able to execute the things that we wanted to execute. And as a result, we we lived our dreams, as I say. <laughs> You know, given your batting average and your on-base percentage, I guess you might say, I wonder why the other teams didn't walk you even more. Um, I mean, once again, we had such a, a great lineup that year. And, I mean, I it was hard for me to understand why I was even getting walked in the first place because we had great hitters in that lineup and they could do something at any time. And whether it was the person right behind me or the person right in front of me or one through nine in the lineup, you never knew who was going to come up with that big hit because we were all capable of doing it at that time. And I just, once again, that's what I I loved about that team is, you know, we all worked so hard to accomplish that goal and we ended up doing that. And, you know, we just, we really were able to have a new hero every single day and, when one person was down, we picked that person up, and, you know, it's just kind of how the game worked that year, and and it seems like every year with every team that Coach Myers has had, he's been able to 
make it a successful season regardless of the outcome, regardless of them winning a national championship or winning a conference championship or not. It's always, you always feel like it's a successful year regardless. Sounds like it was a lot of fun as well. Hey, let, let me talk, uh, let me ask you about studies because, um, you know, a lot of athletes are not uh, interested in math that much, but you're, you are a math major. Um, where did the interest in math come from? Um, well, I've always been kind of an analytical person, and math has always been a subject that just came easily to me. And, you know, my dad and I, when we were little, we would always analyze stats, and <laughs> we would always, you know, watch Dodger baseball games and see, you know, play, play the percentages of the game and see what they would do in certain situations. And I just think that kind of translated to the, to the classroom. I was able to, you know, just kind of relate to some of the concepts that we studied in mathematics. And then, you know, I, I was also a big baseball fan, um, history baseball fan, especially in regards to Ted Williams. You know, he was an analytical kind of math-oriented, physics-oriented kind of athlete. And I always related to that, and I think that's why I was always able to read all of his books and understand what he was saying as well as the math books that I read in a classroom. So one of the things that, uh, one of the most famous things Ted Williams said is that the most difficult uh, thing to do in any sport is to hit a baseball, or some some ways I think it's hitting a softball maybe even harder because it's coming, it's coming, uh, the pitcher is so much closer and it's coming so much faster. Um, do you buy into that? Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I never got to play the, the game of baseball, so I, I don't know if I could even compare the two in the sense. I mean, I think they're both extremely difficult to hit because, yes, I mean, it's baseball. There's so much break on the ball, you know, and it's coming in at 90 to 100 miles an hour sometimes. And then, you know, in softball, it's kind of the equivalent with a 70-mile-an-hour fastball. They're both coming in pretty fast, and they're both pretty difficult to hit. So, um, I mean, I'd say equally (laughs) um, would be difficult to hit, but I guess I'd I'd have to do some kind of mathematical study to... (laughs) Who introduced you to Ted Williams? Um, My dad. I I mean, I've never met the man in person, but, you know, he always showed me all of his baseball books, and I saw, like, very old tapes on him, and there was just something about... Um, my swing that I guess reminded my dad of his swing and I don't know I just I always grew up hearing stories about Ted Williams and then I know my grandpa when he fought in World War II I guess he said he met Ted Williams one time and I just I always get giddy as a kid you know whenever I hear that story just because it's so cool to think about wow you know in a situation like that, my grandpa got to meet, you know, one of the best baseball players that ever lived. So, <laughs> Well, and, you know, you mentioned the, the war. He uh, took several years off uh, during the prime of his career to, to go into the service. So he, who knows how, how many hits he could have gotten. Let me, let me go back to the math thing. Do you think uh, playing softball helped you or hurt your efforts in the classroom in college? I think it it helped me because I was able to manage my time well, and I understood that when I had a free moment that I would dedicate that to the classroom. I mean, yes, once again, there's a time where you can rest, just watch TV, go out with some friends, you know, all of that. But when I knew I had to get something done in the classroom, I did. 
And I think that was a result of me playing a sport and me just having that self-discipline that's taught in a sport. Um, I, I think that really helped me for for the long haul for not just being a student or being an athlete, but just helped me in life. Do you um, what, what do you see for yourself um, down the road when your playing days are over? Uh, do you see yourself using your math degree? Do you see yourself becoming a coach, something else? Any thoughts? Um, I think I would really like to come, become a coach. I'm going to be teaching actually um, four math classes at Grand Canyon University and where I've been getting my master's. Um, I'll be graduating this April, actually, um, in, with my master's in secondary education. But I'm going to be teaching some college classes next fall, um, college algebra and calculus. So, I mean, I, I'm going to be doing a mix of both. I might be the volunteer assistant coach at Grand Canyon University, where I've been the graduate assistant. And, you know, we'll see how things go from there. But I think I would definitely love to be a college coach and just see where that goes from there because I love the game. I love being around the game. I love the girls that I work with at Grand Canyon. They're really good kids, and, you know, I absolutely love and have a passion for what I do, especially in the sport of softball. Are there certain coaches in your uh, um, during your career who stand out as responsible coaches, the kind who both – prepare teams to win, but also use sports to teach life lessons. Any coaches that stand out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me was Coach Myers at ASU. You know, he he really taught us about life and just had a way of communicating with us, as I said earlier, that really got us to believe in ourselves as as people and, and players. And I just, I, I can't say enough great things about the man. He was, he was, definitely like a second dad to all of us and mentor to all of us and really just help us understand what it took to win in the sport of softball but also win in life you know he always has that saying greatness is a way of life and I truly believe that and he was able to help us believe that because of his expertise I guess um and I would say him and Tony Rico from the Worth Firecrackers he was my travel ball coach my senior year in high school, and, you know, he was a man that definitely always worried more about teaching us life lessons than even winning a softball game. So he, he really taught me the professional approach to the game, but also the professional approach to life. And it was a hard concept for me to understand completely in high school, and I don't think I was able to apply it until I got to college and, and now, but... It was definitely something that I learned a lot from, and yeah. And then, you know, I have Coach Ken Erickson. You know, he's the USA national softball coach, and and he he's just a great man too as well. He teaches teaches us a lot about life and just being good people and football players. And even though I've only been with him for a short amount of time, you know, he's definitely been a positive influence on my life and the rest of the team. So, You know, I, I, I haven't met Coach Myers or, or Coach Rico, but I have actually interviewed uh, Ken Erickson, and uh, I, I see what you mean about uh, such a positive guy. You know, a lot of people think, well, either you, you're either a good sport, you focus on life lessons, or you win, but it seems to me your experience with coaches is that they've done both. They've helped you 
with life lessons, and you've been very successful on the scoreboard. Right, right, and you know, even through all of my my hiccups, you know, with playing or in life, you know, I know that they'll always be there for me as a guide, and I think just once again having that kind of support system, you know, with the coaches that I've played under, and also with my parents, has really shaped me as a person today, and will hopefully shape me as a as a person, as a coach, or just continue to shape me as a player, just playing this game that I love. Yeah. In 2009, you uh, were named to the U.S. national team. What did it feel like when you got that news? Oh, it was. I was ecstatic, you know. I had been trying out for that team, I think, for the past three years. And, you know, I, I always went into those trials, you know, just hoping for the best, you know, that I would get to wear that uniform that I always dreamt about wearing since, gosh, I was six or seven years old. And when I finally realized, like, wow, I'm on the USA national team, it was amazing. It's like, like wow, my, my ultimate dream has finally come true. And I got to play among the best players in the world. And just having that opportunity was really, really, truly special to me. And I... I just I still get chills about the first time I got to wear that uniform, my first game in that uniform, and just what it it felt like to take the field with once again the best players in the world. It was just absolutely a dream come true. You know, we talked earlier about um, how you helped um, uh, incoming players to your um, ASU team. Um, when you when you joined the national team, were there players who um, experienced players who who helped you, who taught you things? Absolutely. You know, there were obviously great great influences around me. You know, the first the first one that I can say that really was very welcoming to the team and just a great role model was Jenny Finch. She is an absolutely outstanding, humble person. You know, you would never know that you're talking to Jenny Finch, you know, the face of softball. When, when you talk to her, she's, she's a normal person. She's very down-to-earth and just so amazing in that regard. And it's so like, wow, like Jenny Finch, like she's she's talking to me right now. Is kind of how I felt my first year and like, wow, I, I'm her teammate. But she was just, she didn't make it feel that way when you were talking to her. She just, you know, you were on the same level as her in that sense. I mean, yes, she was a mentor to me. She helped me and the other new kids who were on the team, you know, to really understand what their role, what their part was in the team. And I just, I couldn't be more thankful for players like her, players like Kate and Lowe, players like Jessica Mendoza, Natasha Watley, all of those girls. They were very, just very welcoming and just very good people that, really just help you feel welcome onto the team and I just appreciate that so so much um, if uh, if a parent who is thinking about signing up to coach um, his or her daughter's softball team asked you for advice what what might you tell them a parent yeah somebody who's who's thinking of coaching their their daughter's softball team for the first time well if anything I would say you know just just understand what you have on a team. Understand your your daughter's ability. You know, the first thing that 
I was always told growing up is don't play the daughter's position um, or don't play the coach's daughter's position on a team. Hmm. And that was because, you know, most of the time the coach's daughter would be playing and playing all the time because it's the coach's daughter. Regardless of how good she was. Right, right. And (laughs) so I think if anything, if I can tell that coach, like, hey, just understand your daughter's ability and make sure that she's the best person for that position on the team as well as everyone else who's playing the team. Don't play favoritism. You know, if there's a kid that's working hard, I mean, obviously you're probably going to like them more than the kid that's not doing her part on the team. But as a coach, you know, just be firm but be fair to the girls and just understand, look, you know, this is who I think is the best player for this position and this position and this position in order to accomplish that goal of winning a ball game. Yeah, no, great, great thoughts. Um, last question. Uh, it's a real bummer, no softball in the 2012 Olympic Games. Um, uh, what efforts are being made to get softball back into the Brazilian Games in 2016? Um, well, actually, softball was voted out of the 2016 Olympics as well, but we are making efforts to get softball back in for the 2020 Olympics. And the vote for the 2020 Olympics will be going on next year in August. Um, so I guess the efforts that we're making right now is we're trying to find out what our, our best options are. Should we go in with baseball? Should we not go in with baseball? And just pretty much seeing, you know, hey, like what can we do to prove to the IOC that we deserve to get back into the Olympics because so many sports, or excuse me, so many countries are involved in the sport of softball. Yep. And we just we want to show them that look like this is a great sport that keeps rising, keeps getting better, keeps getting more and more competition, keeps getting more girls involved. And I would hate to take that that experience away from our future generation. You know, I'm I, I'm sad that the Olympics isn't in for the 2012 Olympics, especially being on the team right now. You know, I would love to compete in an Olympic game. Yep. And if that opportunity doesn't come to me, I certainly want it for the future of our sport and for those girls so they have someone to look up to the way I did when I was little. I remember watching Lisa Fernandez, Scott Richardson, Stacey Newman, Jenny Finch, Jessica Mendoza, all of those girls when I was when I was little and watching on the on the TV during the Olympics, watching them win the gold medal, and I want those girls to be able to have someone to look up to and to say, hey, you know, I want to play in an Olympics one day and really live that dream. So that's that's pretty much what we're, we're trying to do. I know we always are um, using our campaign back softball throughout the world and our country in order to promote the game and get it back into the Olympics. So I just we're hoping for the best, and we're doing everything we can to make sure that it, it does get back in. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you there. Caitlin, I want to thank you for taking the time today to, to share with me and all of the responsible sports listeners who are going to hear this. You know, they're going to be coaches, parents, athletes, um, lots of people who will get a lot of uh, value from your comments. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Responsible Sports, 
including downloading valuable tools on how you can help youth athletes stay positive in youth sports, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.